You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Abraham left Bethel, and Bethel was Abraham's place of worship. And in fact, he didn't get back there until he was expelled from Egypt by Pharaoh. Go back to verse 8, which was a part of one of our previous studies. Notice in verse 8 of chapter 12, we read, And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, Then he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord there. As Pastor Mike continues his teaching series through the book of Genesis, he'll be challenging you to get back to the place of genuine worship if you've gone astray. If you've backslidden back into the world, remember those first works you did when you first got saved and return back to your first love. If you feel distant from God, it's not because God moved away from you, it's because you moved away from God. The Holy Spirit convicts and draws you to the Lord, and it's the devil that condemns. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 12 as he continues his message, Down to Egypt. Now in the fourth watch, so early early in the morning, of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And don't don't you know Peter, right? He chimes in, takes the initiative upon himself. But Peter, I love Peter, man. You know, of all of the characters in the Bible, I can really relate to Peter. Old, impetuous Peter, up and down, sideways Peter, you know? And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you on the water. All right, okay, Peter. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, everything is great and fine up until this point. You know, he probably picked up on the side, and there he goes, standing, he's feeling the water. Yeah, that's going to support me. Takes the other foot off the other side. And now, and now he's like, this is cool, you know? He doesn't even have a surfboard underneath him. It's kind of like, and he's walking on the water. But notice, all of that time, he kept his eyes upon Jesus. Oh, this is so very important. And this is where I'm going with using this illustration. It was so important for Peter to keep his eyes on the Lord. You see, but notice when he saw the wind. Now, if, you, if he's looking at the wind and the waves and the sea, the tumultuous sea, 
His eyes aren't on the Lord anymore. Wasn't this, Ab- wasn't this exactly Abraham's problem? He didn't have his eyes on God. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You see, folks, this is what we take away from this. We have to keep our eyes on the greatness of God. So whatever you're going through, problems, difficulties, struggles, whatever, don't appeal to the world. Don't look to the world for help, the resources of the world. Keep your eyes on the greatness of God. You see, that's exactly what Abraham failed to do. Now, that brings us to our second point. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the second step in Abraham's decline. And this here in our text is indirectly suggested. And that is, and if you're taking notes, write this down. Abraham left Bethel. And Bethel was Abraham's place of worship. And in fact, he didn't get back there until he was expelled from Egypt by Pharaoh. Go back to verse 8, which was a part of one of our previous studies. Notice in verse 8 of chapter 12, we read, And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Then he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord there. You see, that was his place of worship, even as this is our place of worship on 37th Street, right here in Manhattan. How cool is that, right? And uh, it was there that Abraham built the altar. It was there that he worshipped. It was there where he called upon the name of the Lord. You know, that that, that name, the word Bethel, literally means house of God. So that was Abraham's house of God. That was his last recorded residence before going down to Egypt. And it's interesting that the scripture doesn't record him worshiping again until he returns. You see, all of the while that he was down in Egypt, he never worshiped the Lord. Maybe that was some of his problem. Well, this is exactly what happens when people cease trusting God. They stop worshiping. And remember, unbelief, and that was what Abraham was guilty of, he was Guilty of the sin of unbelief. Remember, unbelief is a sin. And all sin keeps us from God. And it's usually expressed something like this. Oh, you know those people back at our church in Manhattan? You know, they're just a bunch of of self-righteous people. They're always telling me what to do. That's usually the way that, you know, they express that, of what's happened in their lives. And thus, their spiritual life withers. Listen, trust God and you find you will want to worship him more and more. Think about this. Your commitment to worship, to gather together, is sort of like a litmus test. It really gauges where you are in your walk in your relationship with the Lord. Let me ask you a question. You're coming here this morning. Was it a chore? Was it a burden? Did you do it out of a sense of duty? I'm a Christian, you know, that's what Christians do. They go to church on Sunday morning, you know. I'm expected to do that. I'd be embarrassed, you know, if Pastor Mike called me on the phone and asked me, where you been for the last couple of months? I'd be embarrassed. So I want to keep face. 
Is that the reason why you've come here this morning? Is it a chore? Is it a bummer? Well, if it is, you're probably not living close to God and trusting him. Because think about this. Is it a joy to be here this morning? Is it, is it a joy for you to have taken the name of Christ? Because if you're trusting him for much, guess what? You're going to receive much as you go on with him. But once again, let me remind you, the second thing that led to Abraham's downfall was he left his place of worship. Folks, don't ever leave your place of worship. Now, this is not an attempt on my part to keep you here at harvest. You know, if you feel like you're not being ministered to here, find another church, man. We, we encourage you to do that. But if God is speaking to you, man, you know, see it for what it really is. This is the place that God has provided for you to minister to your needs, to relate to you. How many people have come to me and said, Pastor Mike, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Man, you hit the nail right on the head. Man, the gospel is like a hammer this morning. Pin me up against the wall, right? Pastor Mike, has someone been talking to you about me? How many times have I heard that? You know, right? So if you're being ministered to, man, don't pull yourself out of that place where God is speaking to you. And please take that into account. And again, this is not an attempt on my part to keep you here. But I don't know how many people, and I, and I, I receive letters, I, I get phone calls of people who think, you know, it's, it's going to, I need to move out to California. I need to move out to Colorado. I need to move down to South Beach, down in Florida, down Miami or whatever, because it's going to be more exciting there. And things haven't been working out exactly for me here. I'm still single. I'm not married. I'm not this, that, and the other thing. I'm not making a good, you know, living here, living in Manhattan. It's tough living here in Manhattan, man. You know, it, uh, the cost of living is a lot higher than in, than in other places. Yeah, that's true. And all of those things might be true. But listen, if God is speaking to you here and providing for you here, don't pluck yourself out of that place where God is going to continue to minister to you. I don't know how many people have done exactly that. And you catch up with them a couple of months later, and it's been devastating that is pulling themselves up out of the center of God's will for their lives, right? And thinking, oh, this is God's will for my life. I've got to go out to California. I've got to... Do you know, go visit, go on vacation out in California or whatever. You better make sure, you better make sure that that's exactly what God is calling you to do. It can have a damaging effect upon, now I'm not suggesting, and those of you who are thinking about moving to get back to California or whatever. Okay, so take it for what it's worth. I hope I didn't get myself in trouble here, but just make sure that you're in the center of God's will for your life. You see, Abraham, what contributed to his downfall was he left his place of worship. The third and the last thing, another thing that led to Abraham's decline was self-confidence. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Self-confidence. That is, he begun to discount the wisdom of God and he began to substitute a wisdom and a confidence of his own. Now, for us, discounting the wisdom of God, for us, that wisdom is found in the scriptures. You know, whereas with Abraham, God spoke to him directly and told him exactly what he was to do, what God expected of him. But isn't it, isn't it true with us? I mean, it's basically the same thing. In fact, I think that we are even more privileged than was Abraham. We got the full counsel and canon of scriptures at our disposal, right? And every contemporary, you know, translation that you can imagine. 
right? I mean, talk about a privileged group of people, right? We have the scriptures, right? That's what Abraham did. He began to discount the wisdom of God and substitute a wisdom and confidence of his own. He left Canaan for Egypt because of the famine. But notice he was faced with a new problem as soon as he made that choice. And that brings us back to his wife, Sarah, who, by the way, was the first and original it girl. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah. Wasn't her picture plastered on the cover of People magazine back then? I mean, she was a looker, man. I mean, could you imagine? He was anticipating this, and it is exactly the way that he thought it would happen. She was a looker. I mean, she was the, you know, the kind of a, you, you know what I'm talking about, and I'm not trying to you know, tempt anybody or tempt you to, to sin or anything, but you know what I'm talking about. You're walking down the street. I can only speak for guys, right? Is my wife back there? Okay. She's probably, in there. she's listening. And, uh, you know, come on, right? And you see some model, in fact, we have a, I think there's modeling agencies right here in this building. I mean, you can't, you see someone walking down the corridor and it's just like, wow, man. Oh, you know, beautiful, what a beautiful, it's the second look that you don't want to take, okay, it's the second look. But you know, she was a looker. And, and Abraham knew exactly the way this whole thing was going to play out, right? So remember, he had already abandoned his trust in God to help in the far lesser matter of the famine, and he fell back on his devices, Let's go back to our text in verses 11 and 12. So it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Man, he hit it right on the nose. Right? He knew exactly what he was talking about uh, here, right? So anyway, he had already abandoned his trust in God to help in the far lesser matter of the famine, as I've already mentioned, and he fell back upon his own devices with the suggestion that he makes to his wife, Sarah. And he was probably thinking, he knew, this is crazy, he, he absolutely knew that this is the way that this whole thing was going to play out, that Pharaoh was going to take her and number him number her as one of the many uh, members of his harem, right? And he came this close to having a sexual relationship with this woman. But he was probably thinking, maybe I'll be able to enter into these negotiations with Pharaoh for her. I'll drag it out as long of a prolonged period as I possibly can until the famine is over, and then I'll scoot out the back door. And no one will be the wiser. I don't really know, but I'm just, it's a possible explanation. He thought, you know, I'll just kind of continue and I'll negotiate for her. And that, and that was a part of, uh, you know, offering someone as a bride. There were negotiations involved and there was payments involved and there was protocol involved. And, and uh, so he thought, you know, maybe I can prolong it, stretch it out over a long period of time and even as long as there is the famine in the land, and once it's over, we'll get out the back door. And again, no one will be the, the wiser. So that was his line of thinking. And you know, there's something else here, though. Isn't it amazing? 
and tell me if this isn't true and very human-like, whenever you want to do something wrong, you can always come up with a good reason for doing it. Isn't that true? And guess what? The devil will be there to help you. He'll always be there to help you. But you know, we're instructed in the book of wisdom, that is in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 3, in verses 5 and 6, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You see that? So, what was the fruit of Abraham's counsel to his wife, Sarah? Simply, more sin. Initially, it was unbelief. But now, being added to it, he gets Sarah to lie. He gets the rest of his company and his entourage that followed him into, down to Egypt to lie as well. He even has Pharaoh involved in this whole hoax. You see, this is exactly the way that sin works, folks. It adds to itself. It always compounds and you can't just sin a little bit. And I think of the far-reaching effects of sin. You know, when we choose to sin, we affect everyone, everyone around us. And then think about the shock of Sarah being taken. Can you imagine that? Your wife being taken and you not being able to do anything about it. We're talking about the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. Humanly speaking, that is. Pharaoh. Folks, his scheme and careful calculations, guess what? didn't work for him. Because, you see, when you turn to your own devices, that, that which you cherish, that which you want to protect, is actually what you lose. You know, one of my favorite writers, actually I'm going to quote two of them, F.B. Meyer, in his commentary said, and I quote, the world may entreat us well, but that will be a poor compensation for our losses. There's no altar in Egypt. There's no fellowship with God. There's no new promises, but a desolated home and a wretched sense of wrong. When the prodigal leaves his father's house, though he may win a brief spell of forbidden pleasure, yet he loses all that makes life worth living and brings himself down to the level of the swine. In such a case, there is no resource save to retrace the way that we have come to do the first works, and like Abraham, to go up out of Egypt to the place of the altar where we were at the first. Abraham's failure in Egypt gives us an insight into the original nature of the patriarch, which was by no means heroic. Very human-like, in fact, right? And so finally, think about Abraham's rebuke and humiliation by this unbelieving king that is Pharaoh. You see, God doesn't let us go our way, our own way, for long. He brings us back to our senses. But it's a hard way to go. The effects of sin are never pretty. Notice the rebuke of Pharaoh, verses 18 and 19. And Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. Listen, the effects of sin are never pretty. Think of the humiliation that Abraham suffered here, right? 
But praise the Lord, as we are about to discover, it was a good thing. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't leave us to ourselves. You know, it's at this point that God could have blew Abraham off altogether, right? But he's the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the hundredth chance and the seven hundredth chance. And it goes on and on and on. He's so patient and merciful, right? The way that he deals with us. And it's a good thing. It was a good thing that at the rebuke of Pharaoh and of the promptings of the Spirit, that he went back to Bethel and he once again resumed worshiping God there. Because in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, let's close out our service, meaning these last three verses. Then Abraham went up from Egypt, praise the Lord, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham once again called upon the name of the Lord. You know, Donald Gray Barnhouse in his commentary said, and I quote, This incident is sort of like a coin that has a head and a tail. And every event in life can either draw us to God or draw us away from God. If Abraham had, strayed, had stayed rather in Canaan, when the famine came, his faith would have grown. He would have seen the Lord providing. Since he did not stay in Canaan, though, the same famine that could have been a means of spiritual growth actually took him away from God and led him into sin and eventually brought him great humiliation. What an important step it would have been if he would have learned the lesson, this lesson about life. Instead of complaining, we would trust God. Instead of saying, why has God let this happen to me? Doesn't he care for me? Why has God abandoned me? We would say, well, here is simply another opportunity for me to trust God. And I wonder what wonderful things he is going to do for me this time. It is not always easy to do that. Granted, it sometimes takes more grace to stay in Canaan than to get there. But that is what God wants. He does not want our way to be easy. Because if it is easy, we will not grow. And thus he arranges these steps of faith in an upward direction so that our spiritual muscles will grow strong and we can eventually scale the heights of great blessing. You know, maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to go back to Bethel, that needs to go back to their place of worship, that needs to go back to their place of trusting in God. Are you that person? In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. 
When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Let my heart not be troubled.